Amen. Thanks, Andrew. If you told me uh, that Andrew would uh, intro me with a bottle of seltzer water, I would have said, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. King of transitions. <laughs> um, so, welcome again. My name is Adam. It's good to see all of you. Lots of new faces. Uh, and something Andrew said earlier in the service really is a great transition and intro to what we're going to talk about um, this morning. Uh, we're talking about friendship. Um, and even as I say that, and I'm going to say that word a ton of times today. So we're talking about friendship and just that idea might uh, if you Google friendship, there's all sorts of really cheesy images, and that might just, like, you're talking about friendship in church, like, you might have all sorts of, like, Care Bear pictures in your head, um, or, like, why can't Barney, like, holding hands, all that kind of stuff. But we're talking about friendship today, uh, and something Andrew said earlier during the video, uh, I think it was during the video, he's like, so maybe you're, we're just 2015, and some of you are starting the year, and we're like, yes, this is going to be an awesome year. Holidays are awesome. Maybe, maybe these holidays were not awesome. Maybe you're not looking forward to the new year. Um, so my hope in, in talking about friendship today was that as we think about the new year, whether you make a resolution or whether you don't make a resolution, you resolve to not resolve anything, um, whatever it is for you, as we transition into the new year, uh, that this idea about uh, going deeper in our friendships, our interpersonal relationships, might inform the way that we interact with each other, the way that we, and the way that we grow together as a church. And the other reason for this is uh, as we look at the, the banners on the side over here, uh, it says expectation, hope, intimacy, and known. Uh, if you're new, these were the four words that we focused on during Advent, the season leading up to Christmas. Uh, and the one thing I was thinking about, what did not we talk about? What did we not talk about when we talked about Jesus coming to be with us this Christmas? We didn't talk about friends, uh, friendship, God being our friend. And it wasn't for any, any reason. It's just uh, as we look at intimacy, as we look at known, these are things that I think kind of lead towards friendship. They lead towards this relationship of friendship. Um, so we're going to talk about God as our friend today. Uh, we're going to talk about our interpersonal friendships as well. So a couple things to begin real quick. Friendship, a couple of duh statements probably about friendship. Friendship is important. Um, friendship's hard. And that's it. Friendships are hard. Friendships are important. Uh, but friendships are also a special relationship that God wants to use to make us new. So friendships are a hard, important, special relationship that God wants to use to make us new. So why are they hard? Well, a couple of reasons. One, our culture is really fast-paced. Right? We are like, go, 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 go. So that's, that's, friendship takes time, and a fast-paced culture makes it a little bit hard uh, to really connect with people deeply. We have a really wide circle of acquaintances, right? I have like, I don't know, 4,000 friends on Facebook. I'm not friends with all of those people. Uh, so inter the internet, social media, this isn't bashing anything like that. It's just, it, it makes it hard, right, to connect deeply with people because we have a wide circle of acquaintances and everybody's so fast-paced. Um, another one would be that family life in our culture is pretty central, right? We, I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes. Family life is central, uh, and then every other type of relationship kind of uh, circles around the outside as a little bit less important. And these aren't meant to be indictments of things. I'm just observing about the culture. Another one would be mobility, 
Right? We can move around. With a fast pace, we have uh, the ability to go anywhere, anytime, pretty much. So we are in and out, always traveling, far away, moving. Uh, some of you are moving soon. Some of you have moved. Our friends move away on us. We move away on our friends. Right? Mobility, the, be- the ability to travel has made friendship hard. And then not to mention that we are just sometimes really not that great at interpersonal relationships. Anyone have problems with that anytime, anywhere? Yeah, so for example, here's a quick story for you. Some of my friends um, just had a baby, and the baby's healthy, it's all good. Uh, tons of pictures on social media, it's awesome, they're, they're thrilled, everyone's thrilled for them. Um, and for all of you new parents here, this, they don't go to this church, so I'm not talking about you, don't worry. Um, if you just had a baby, like, is it me? No. Uh, so I kind of grew up thinking when, if someone has a baby, I kind of naturally default to, and I know them, I'm going to wait until they say, hey, Adam, why don't you come over and meet fill-in-the-blank child, right? Because I don't want to intrude. That's just how I, I think about it. Like, you just had a baby. Your life just got turned upside down. There are all sorts of new things going on. There's probably a million and one people that are like, can I come over and see your baby? Can I come over and see your baby? Uh, And you're like, no more, no more. Just everyone leave us alone. We need some time to figure out how to not kill this thing. We need some time with our child, right? So I'm like, I'm going to wait until they say, Adam, come over. We'd love for you to meet our child. Um, And then it never happened. And I thought like, wow, I thought these people were my friends. Like, I mean, I was told, I was one of the first people that knew they were pregnant. Uh, we talked about it, and now the baby comes, and Ad, like, they didn't invite me over to see their, their child. So long story short, we finally, uh, I finally went over. We finally got together, and um, I, we, were, we were joking about, like, oh, Adam, we haven't seen you in a long time. I'm like, yeah, I haven't, you, you didn't invite me over. And they're like, oh, we were waiting for you to just come over. I'm like, oh. Because they were like, oh, if Adam should, we haven't seen Adam. Why hasn't he come over to see our, our child? And they were just expecting that, that I would just say, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming over. And maybe some of you are like that. Maybe you just invite yourselves over, and that's, that's fine. Um, but that's not how I thought about it. So there's just like, really, it's a simple, simple story of just basic miscommunication. Right? Like, I'm expecting them to invite me over. I don't want to intrude. And they're like, why? Adam doesn't like us. He's not, he has, he doesn't. and I'm like, they don't like me. Like, I knew it. They really weren't that close to me as friends because they didn't invite me over. So we're not just, we're, we're just not experts at relating to each other. Right? There's constant miscommunication. Things are not interpreted the way that we always intend them to be interpreted. So not only are they hard, Right? So it, we, we mess up when in communicating with each other. We mess up interpersonally. Not only is it hard, but I think we, t- we tend to devalue friendship as a relationship, as one of the loves. C.S. Lewis talks about the four loves, the different types of love. Right? We tend to devalue friendship as a culture. Uh, and we tend to elevate other types of relationships. We tend to elevate other types of love. So, for example, uh, what type of love would you guys say that our culture elevates? Romance, right? It's pretty obvious. Eros, erotic love. Um, look at the world around you. Look at magazine covers. Look at billboards, advertisements. They're, none of them are really talking about like, how good of a friend this person is. Right? No, no, no friend pairs sell iPods. Right? It's romance. It's Eros that is our culture's God. And this is not downplaying the importance of romance or eros or anything like that. I'm not, I mean, without erotic love, none of us would exist, right? That's just the, 
reality, right? It's important, but we tend to elevate romance. We tend to elevate erotic love in our culture, and we tend to devalue friendship. So why does our world devalue friendship so much? Why do we, why do we devalue that? One uh, option could be that maybe we've never really experienced it. Maybe we don't know what we're missing, right? We all say, yeah, of course we've experienced friends, um, but maybe we've never really experienced it deeply. Maybe we've never really experienced it the way that the Bible uh, sets it up to be. Also, it gets pushed out by the other relationships in our lives, right? All of the other relationships, they kind of push themselves on us, our, our spouses, our significant others, our coworkers, our family, all those relationships are there, and they're constantly there, and they're constantly demanding our attention, um, and it's good. We need to give them attention. Uh, but they, they, we have little time for friends as a result, right? We're so fast-paced. We're so mobile. All these other relationships are like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And as a result, we have little time for friendships. And because you can kind of get along in life without great friends, right? It's not the best. I'm not saying it's desirable. But you can kind of go through life uh, and not have any real significant friendships. You'll, you'll survive. It might be kind of miserable, but you'll survive, right? Um, but you can't survive without some of these other types of love. So it's hard. It's important. Uh, God wants to use it to change us. Um, we devalue it. We don't know how to do it well. We elevate romance. We elevate erotic love. But the Bible shows us a different picture of friendship. So in the Bible, friendship uh, is a, a special type of love. It's something, uh, it brings something into our lives that our spouse, that our family, that our co-workers, to sum up some other types of relationships, do not. So friendship in the Bible brings something into our lives that our spouses, our family, significant others, our co-workers cannot bring. So I have a few Proverbs that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Proverbs as just a really quick overview of some ideas of the biblical understanding of friendship. So the first one is Proverbs 18.24. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So real quickly, we're going to kind of unpack some of these. Um, Just to note, there's a difference between companions and friends in this proverb, right? You can have a ton of companions, you can have a ton of acquaintances and still come to ruin, still have your life crash down around you. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Also, another thing to note is that in this, it says a friend is closer than a brother. Like, so my sister and I are pretty close. Uh, we're pretty, pretty close. But apparently, I don't know if you guys have uh, siblings that are like your best friend. Uh, but apparently, a friend is someone who sticks closer than a, stib- a sibling. Like, your family has to love you, right? Holidays, maybe you love your family, maybe not so much. You go home, your family has to be there for you. They are. They're always going to be like, they're always going to have your back, even if they don't like you or don't want to hang out with you. Like, you see each other every six months. Uh, you don't really connect, but they, they always have your back. There's always this, like, yeah, my family's always going to be there. But a friend is someone who chooses you, and they stick closer than a brother. And our, the ancient Hebrew culture that this was written was much more family-centric than our culture is. 
much, much more family-centric. So to say that a friend is closer than a brother um, means a lot more than now. You're like, yeah, my friends are totally closer than my brothers. Like, I don't, I don't see my family at all, but I see my friends all the time. But in this culture, a friend is closer than a brother is kind of radical. And this part, when I was preparing for this, this is the thing that really stuck out to me. Uh, this word sticks, um, it's translated from the word dabek. Put that up. Everyone say that. Da bake. Da bake. Fun word. It's really not a nice word to say. I don't know. Um, so this is the word that uh, we get to cling. This means to cling, to adhere to. Um, and, and sometimes it is translated as the word cleave. We don't really use that word, but if you've been around church or if you've read a, an old translation of the Bible, you might hear the word cleave. Uh, it, again, means to cling or adhere to. And it's usually used in terms of what? What? Marriage. Right? We talk about a husband and wife cleaving together. Right? And there are many words, so I looked it up, there are a lot of different words in Hebrew that could mean sticks, cling to, come together, stays by, faithful friend. Like, there are a lot of different Hebrew words that mean the same thing. But the author of Proverbs chose the word dabek, which means cleave. And it's the same word that is used in Genesis to talk about the relationship between a husband and a wife. A man will leave his family and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Right? So that's really interesting to me, because that just like blew up friendship in my mind. Right? Obviously, uh, friends cleave differently than a husband and wife cleave. Right? There's, yeah, we got that. There's a, there's a sexual cleaving that is in one relationship, and there is a non-sexual cleaving that's in the other. But the word is the same. So that, that opened it up for me, because I was like, yeah, maybe friendship is not that, maybe it's not as important as this relationship. Actually, they use the same word. A friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend cleaves to you, not in the same way that a spouse cleaves to you, but a friend cleaves to you, and they stay closer than a brother. The Bible elevates friendship. I'll say it maybe almost to the place of, of a marriage. The Bible really elevates the relationship of friendship it uses the same word that is used for a marriage. So that, that like blew my understanding of how, the way that our culture looks about friendship. That changes everything. Just that one word in my mind, like, whoa. It's no longer like, oh, I'm a friend when I'm around, and yeah, that's great. Like, no, no. A friend, a true friend cleaves to you, sticks to you, adheres to you, similarly in the same way that, uh, a spou- that spouses cling to each other. Next proverb, Proverb seventeen seventeen. Next slide. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. So notice it says at all times, not all the time, right? So we can't obviously be with our friends twenty four seven. That's unrealistic. But a friend loves at all different types of times: good times, bad times the ordinary boring times that make up most of life, right? A friend loves at all of the times. So that, that implies that friends have to be available, right? And some of this is kind of like obvious, but I think it's important for us to kind of march through some of these proverbs. Friendship is marked by a radical availability. Acquaintances are available when it's good for them, right? Acquaintances are available when it's good for them. But friends are available when it's good, when it's bad, when it's inconvenient, when it's costly, and when it's just straight up ordinary, Right? When it's just straight up flatline life, boring, mundane, spreadsheets, friends are available at all of the times. Friends are people that you walk through life with. 
They're loyal. They're faithful. They are present at all the time, at all times. So friendship, this is kind of another duh statement, but friendship only works if you spend time with that person, right? Like my Facebook friends that I never, ever see, we're not really friends because I don't actually spend time with them. Friendship only works if there is face-to-face contact time. Um, I, quick story, I have a, a friend um, who, maybe, maybe you have some of these friends. Some friends are really easy to be with. Some friends take a little bit more patience sometimes. And that could be my problem. That could be me, right? But God has been teaching me how to be a better friend by helping me to see that time, one lesson is that time is my most precious resource that I have, and it's not always mine to manage. And that's like a bold statement, right? Like, no, 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 my time is my time. But time is my most precious resource, but it's not always mine to decide what I do with. So I was sitting in a, uh, my favorite coffee shop that I sit in on sab- my, my Sabbath day, my day off, and this time is my time, right? I'm in my own little world. I'm in public, but I'm alone. Don't talk to me. Uh, I am reading, journaling, thinking, just sitting there staring out the window, whatever. Uh, and this friend comes in, and to be honest, my first reaction was not like, hey, yes, let's talk. He's like, oh, no, because we are now going to talk for the next, like, four hours, and you're, you're intruding on my time, and I, I really just want to sit here and not talk to you. Um, it's not because I don't like you. It's just because you're coming at an inconvenient time. Um, and I had this sense of God saying to me very sharply, but also without any condemnation, very gently, like, Adam, would you allow me to interrupt your precious schedule to spend time talking to one of my children who's created in my image? I was like, ah, uh, okay, fine. <laughs> like, when you put it that way, God. Right? So my time is not always mine to manage. Like, I could have been like, oh, I got to go, bye, and just go to a different coffee shop. But actually, there's an invitation for me as a friend to sacrifice time that I had put aside for something for my own personal space. Not all the time, obviously, right? That could be un- become unhealthy. But there is an invitation for me as a friend to sacrifice time and availability because time is my most precious resource. It is one way that I love. So friendship is marked by radical availability, and consistent presence, right? Not constant presence, because that's creepy. Consistent presence. Friendship is marked by radical availability. You're there when it's good, when it's bad, when it's ordinary. You're there all of the time, and it's marked by consistent presence, continuing. Next proverb, 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Earnest counsel is also translated as heartfelt advice. That's why it's in parentheses up there. So a friend is somebody who will give you heartfelt advice. And you can trust their counsel, right? Their advice is earnest. It comes from a pure place. It doesn't come from a a place uh, where you can sense an an ulterior motive, right? Everyone knows uh, you have an acquaintance or a friend who maybe assumes a little too much in your relationship and then proceeds to tell you uh, what to do, what not to do, where to go, how to live your life, whatever, and you're like, this, this feels weird because we're not at that level of intimacy of the friendship where, where I think it's okay for you to say that to me, right? But a friend, their counsel is earnest. Their advice is heartfelt. 
So you can trust their advice, you can trust their counsel, and you can trust how they give it, right? Because heartfelt advice, earnest counsel kind of has to imply a closeness, doesn't it? You can't, I can't, uh, I have to pick random somebody that I don't know here. I can't really give you heartfelt advice without actually having developed this closeness in our relationship. I can give you advice that uh, is kind of emotionally detached from, as an outsider, uh, but I can't give you heartfelt advice or earnest counsel because I don't know you that well yet. So friends are close. There's this emotional connection, emotional uh, um, vulnerability that they have with you where they know you, right? So they, can, they not only give you good advice, give you good counsel, but they know how to give it to you. They know how to give it to you well so that you will receive it, right? Not everybody receives things in the same way. Some people want to be hit in the head with a two-by-four. Other people need to be, like, gently coaxed into something, right? But a friend knows that the way that you receive uh, you, the way that you might receive this is different than this person. And I know that for whatever reason, this friend has this trigger that really bothers them, that when I say this or when I talk about it this way, it just sets them off and they can't hear it. So I'm going to try to say, I'm going to say the same thing, but I'm going to try to do it in a way that they can hear it. Right? So a friend, this, um, this emotional connection, this intimacy with a friend uh, helps them to know you. And then, then they, when, because they know you, you can trust what they say and the way that they're going to say it. They are incredibly emotionally connected and incredibly emotionally sensitive to you as a person. Next proverb, 27, 5, 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So what are friendly wounds? Yeah, multiplying kisses. Kiss times kiss, no. What are friendly wounds? What are hidden love? Um, friendly wounds are the things that friends say to you that are hard, that you need to hear, but you don't want to hear. Uh, a friend is someone who is willing to say hard things. Uh, but they're full of care, like I said, right? They're full of care in how they go about doing it because they know you so well and they care for you. Um, so they take care when they say these hard things to you. They speak the truth to you, but they speak it with love and gentleness. Unless you want to be smacked with it, then they'll do that too. They see you, they know you, and they adjust their approach in order that you might hear what they have to say. And then what is hidden love? Hidden love is when a friend doesn't say something because they don't want, they use the motivation of like, I love that person too much, I don't want to say it. Actually, you don't. You are just more concerned about uh, not having to deal with the awkwardness or the potential pain of saying that, right? Hidden love is when you don't say something with the, uh, the rationale that I'm actually being loving by not saying it. You're just actually more afraid um, of, how, of having to go through this yourself. A friend is somebody who will speak the truth in love and with boldness and with gentleness and carefulness. And according to the proverb, to not speak the truth in love is essentially the work of an enemy in your friend's life. That's pretty harsh, right? Uh, I think of, when it says multiply kisses, I think of Judas and the enemy. It's like you're actually betraying your friend. You're actually betraying your friend by not speaking the truth in love. So a friend gives the gift of emotional vulnerability. That's what we see in all of these proverbs. There's an emotional connectedness that allows us to know each other as friends. Um, if any of you know me, emotional vulnerability is not my strong suit. Um, I've been told that I am, quote, emotionally stingy. Right? That's right. But I didn't have any reaction to it because I don't have any emotion. So. 
<laughs> but I'm learning uh, that, that is a way that God wants to change me. I'm learning uh, to give the gift of emotional vulnerability to my friends. Not always well. Um, sometimes I really take pride in the fact that I, uh, I can remain emotionally distant and that I can remain emotionally mysterious. Like, nobody knows what Adam's thinking half the time. Like, yes, I kind of like that, actually. So that's not helpful. That's not good for friendships. Um, and I, that's something that I'm, I'm learning to do, to try to give emotional vulnerability to my friends. So to sum all of these Proverbs up, a friend always lets you in and never lets you down. Right? A friend is somebody who always lets you in to their life, and they are someone who it's always there, they never let you down. So if we stopped here, I would have set everyone up really well to fail as friends. Right? Like this is a really, like these are great ideals and none of us can actually do them. Right? I would have set us all up to fail really well as, as friends. So the same thing, two things were happening for me as I was uh, preparing for this morning. Uh, one, I was like, wow, I want more of this in my relationships. Not all of my friendship relationships reflect these realities, right? Like there's a, there's a lack, there's a longing. I realize as I think through my relationships, I'm like, oh, I, I want more. My, my relationships are good, but they're not, they're not this picture, like, I don't, I don't see this in a lot of my relationships. So there's a lack, there's a longing that I have. Like, I wish I had more friends, or I wish I had friends that uh, were more like this picture that we see in Proverbs. So that story that I told earlier, for example, they left yesterday. Like, ironically, they literally moved yesterday. So it's not only that uh, I don't see this in my relationship, but are they, friends just kind of just keep, keep disappearing. They keep coming in and out, especially, you know, you live in a city, transient culture, people are in and out all the time. It's harder to make these friends, it's harder to keep friends, and there's a longing, I think, that I feel, I don't know if anyone else feels it, but there's a longing to have more, deeper friendships. Uh, Tim Keller says, our hearts do not have all the friends our hearts desire. Our hearts do not have all the friends that our hearts desire. And the second thing that happened to me um, was I realized, wow, I'm a crappy friend, <laughs> right? And that, that may be harsh, but as I was reading all of these Proverbs, I'm like, I, I don't always do that. I'm not always emotionally vulnerable. I'm not always available. Uh, I'm not always, I'm sometimes afraid to speak the truth to somebody because, I don't, I don't know, I care more about how I'm going to react to it than how they are, right? Proverbs, all these Proverbs, the Bible kind of exposes me as a less than stellar friend, there are ways that it's not only just that other people don't do this to me, I don't do it to other people. Right? I am not the best friend in the world. Some of my friends are nodding. Just kidding. Thanks. So, seltzer water. So we don't have all the friends that our hearts desire. And, um, we, and we are not the friends that we need to be. Right? We, 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 people are, we don't have what we need in terms of friendships, and we are not the, the friends that we need to be in order to get those friendships. How easy is it for you to give the gift of emotional vulnerability to your friends? How, is he, how easy is it for you to be available at all times for your friend? Not all of the time, but at all times for your friends. How easy, how easy is it to tell your friends hard things in love? 
can you hear the truth in love from your friends? Are you able to receive that when a friend says something hard to you? So how do we become the friends that we want to have? How do we become the friends that we desire, the friendships that we want to have? The answer is in John 15 and in Proverbs. We fail, right? I'm not the best friend in the world. We fail at being a friend, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And this is going to sound like the cheesiest thing you heard in church ever. Please don't walk out. Um, But the best news is that Jesus is your best friend. Snicker, 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 snicker. Sunday school, felt bored answer, we know, right? But let me explain before you leave. Right? We fail at friendship, but there is a friend that sticks closer to, than our brother. So on John 15, um, this is the night that Jesus, or right before Jesus was betrayed. It says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus being emotionally vulnerable. He doesn't hold anything back. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So as Jesus says this, you're like, oh, we can understand the entire drama of scripture through the lens of friendship. Right? Think about it. God is a friendship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is a friendship, a relationship of self-giving love, back and forth, give and take, emotional vulnerability, constant presence. God is a friendship. We see in uh, the book of Genesis, it says God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is a metaphor for friendship, walking together, right? We are made, the Bible says, for friendship, for these deep relationships. We're made for friendship with God. We are made for friendship with the God of the universe. Let's just sink that in for a second. Like the God that created the cosmos, we are made to be, in, to be a friend, the way that this, uh, these Proverbs describe, with that God. But we turned on him, right? And when you turn on a friend... What usually happens? The friend usually turns on you back, or they abandon you, or they get mad, right? The friend usually turns back, because we are, we are not perfect in our ability to love. Um, so we turned on God, and, but God did not turn on us and in return. Jesus actually says, I will dabake to you. I will cling, I will cleave, I will stick closer than a brother at infinite cost to myself. So you will not, like the proverb says, come to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But Jesus says, I'm going to pay the cost so you do not come to ruin. We talk about the wounds of a friend. He says, I don't inflict the wounds. I take them. Mine are the wounds of love. My wounds heal you. My wounds heal you. I don't inflict wounds on you. How much more blessed are the wounds of a friend when that friend takes the wounds for you instead of wounding you? So each proverb, Jesus is our true friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the friend that loves at all times. He is the friend who is always available for earnest counsel, heartfelt advice. And he is the true friend who takes the wounds instead of inflicting the wounds. And Jesus' wounds heal. 
Jesus was wounded in order that we could have him as the friend that our heart truly, truly desires. We fail at being good friends. Our friends fail us at being good friends. But Jesus is our best friend. And he's the one that gives us the power to become the great friends that our heart desires. So I guess a really simple question for us this morning, whether you're uh, here and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, that's fine. But have you let Jesus be the friend your heart desires? Again, if you could like just push off all the cheese that you're hearing, the cheesiness of that, Jesus is my friend, but have you let Jesus be the friend that your heart desires? The longing we feel in our earthly friendships, have you let God be the friend that your heart desires? And then, real quickly, after we know that fact, after we have come to say, yes, I want to let Jesus be this friend that my heart desires, uh, that is what gives us the power and the ability to then turn around and be that for other people. Because right? I'm no longer uh, kind of attached to whether or not my friend's like me or I'm a good friend to them or did, like my story at the beginning, like why are they not inviting me over? I guess they really don't like me. I'm no longer ruled by that because I know my heart now knows what it is to have this true friend. So the last thing is we need friends that are different also because when we, when we come to Jesus, when we let Jesus be our true friend, he then enables us to go and be that true friend to others. And uh, when, I, when I was a student in, at, in college, I was part of a, a small Christian group, and one of the things that was really the most uh, attractive to me about becoming a Christian or being a part of the kingdom of God was the idea that everyone was so different, but at the base level, there was this common affinity. There was this common understanding, this common seeking, this common search. Right? We were all so different. There were uh, two folks from Haiti, one, folk from, one guy from Eastern Europe, uh, a friend from uh, Africa, a bunch of people from Rhode Island. Like, it was a really eclectic, weird group of people, uh, but there was this common affinity of, of seeking God uh, that bound us together and I was like, oh, I want to be a part of this thing where, where, friends are, where friends are like, everything else about us is completely different. But there's this one thing that brings us together. And normally, that's really hard, right? Normally, we don't tend to gravitate towards people that are different than us. Right? Normally, we tend to gravitate towards people that are the same because it's easy Right? When we cross cultures, we cross boundaries, we cross barriers, it's hard, it hurts, it's awkward, we say things wrong, right? we offend people, we get offended. We don't tend to naturally do that. We actually tend to, to become uh, kind of insular and we gravitate to people that are like us. But once you are empowered by the friendship of Jesus, then you can go and make friends and cross cultures and build relationships with people that are totally different than you whether they have a relationship with God or not. So if you're a Christian, you need friends that are not Christians. If you're not a Christian, you need friends that are Christians. Uh, if you are one ethnicity, you need friends of a different ethnicity. And that's not just to white people. If you're a friend, if you are one ethnicity, you need to find a friend that is not the same as you. If you're young, you need to find old friends. If you're old, you need to find young friends. If you're married, you need to find single friends. If you're single, you need to have married friends. 
If you are a really uh, educated person with a ton of degrees, maybe you should find a friend that has uh, a degree from a community college or a trade school or no school. We need friends who are different than us because that is where God really begins to shape us into the true friends that we're supposed to be. So my challenge is for us in this new year to pursue a friendship that when the person is radically different and not like, oh, their hair is brown and mine is blonde. I mean like someone that kind of make you, makes you uh, uneasy. Not because there's anything wrong with them, but just like they are so different, I don't even know how to even say hi to them or like pursue that friendship. Pursue that friendship and see what God wants to do with it. It's hard. You're going to fail. You're going to be embarrassed. It'll be awkward sometimes. But these relationships where people are so different are the ones that God is using uh, to shape the way that I think about friendship and to grow me more into the person, uh, the friend that I'm supposed to be. So as we move into the communion table this morning, that's not the communion table. It's always right there, but it's not there. Um, As we move into the communion table and then into singing and worship, do you know Jesus as your ultimate friend? Jesus said that greater love, we read this in the, the uh, John, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus did this for you and for me, and he is the true friend that lays down his life for us. He will always let you in. He will never let you down. He is always available. And when we make him the friend that our hearts long for, we begin to get the friends that our hearts desire. So if, as we come to communion, if you are ready to do that, if you've never said, yeah, I want to let Jesus be the friend um, that my heart wants, that my heart needs, uh, I invite you to, to do that. We talk a lot about making that decision here at Sanctuary. I invite you, maybe, maybe this morning you're like, oh, I, I think I want to start the year off. I think I want to start 2015 off um, with Jesus as a friend, with, with God as my closest true friend. Uh, So if that's you, uh, feel free. Uh, It might be a little weird, but feel free to go over to this banner that says prayer at any point during uh, the second half of the service. Somebody would love to talk with you, connect with you, help you process, make that decision, pray, just listen. Um, And and it's really helpful to like maybe talk it out with somebody. Uh, But also we want to celebrate with you. Like that's a pretty important decision to start the year off with. So let me pray and then we'll move into communion. God, thank you that you are the true friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, that you will not abandon or forsake us. God, no matter how many times we fail at being friends to our our friends, God, no matter how many times they fail at being good friends for us, Lord, you are the, the one constant true friend who's always available, always lets us in. God, I pray that your life, death, resurrection, your example, God, would enable us, give us the power, give us the resources to be the true friends that we need. God, give us, help us to become the friends uh, for other people that our hearts desire. God, and might we find what we need in you this morning. God, if there are people here, if there are friends here that, are, uh, that have not made or let you be their ultimate friend, God, I pray uh, that at the table as we sing, Lord, that you would 
uh, speak to them the truth in love. God, that they would let you in. God, that you would say to them, hey, I want to be your true friend. As cheesy as that sounds, I want to be your ultimate friend. Trust me. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends. Uh, He asked them to stay awake and pray, and they fell asleep. Then one of his friends went and betrayed him. Then one of them denied him three times. But he still said something pretty radical. He said that he no longer called them servants, but friends. He let them in. He chose them, despite all their failures. At dinner, earlier that night, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, foreshadowing what he was about to do on the cross. Then he took the wine and he said, this is the new agreement, the new covenant of my blood, where your sins are totally wiped out forever and we are eternally friends. And they didn't quite understand, again, still what he meant. But uh, then, foreshadowing the cross, he showed them his internal embrace as his arms are nailed open for his friends, for you and for me. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. So let's come to the table together this morning and remind ourselves where our ultimate friendship lies and receive the power to go and be the friend we need to those around us.